Have you ever wondered, why does God let bad things happen? Then stick around, because you'll want to hear today's message. Hey folks, it's Karen G. from Tower Hills Communications team. Thanks for listening into our weekly podcast. We hope you hear something right now that helps you dig deeper in your faith. And if you like this message, please share it with a friend. This week, we're continuing on the next chapter in our sermon series called The Story. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Well, we are continuing with the story, and this is actually chapter 30, which means next week is our final week of the story. Amazing how we've gone from, we will have gone from cover to cover in scripture to see how the whole story goes together and how God's weaving your story into the fabric of it all. And I hope this has helped you. If you have missed any of our story, it's all available online or through our app. You can watch all the videos and, and sermons and get all caught up and watch the story. Listen, we all have a lot of uh, binge watching still to do, so perhaps that's one area that you can. What do we say on our website? Binge watch guilt-free. Well, uh, as we continue to develop our streaming capabilities here, we're trying a lot of different things. And today we're trying the TV right by me. So we're experimenting with how different things look uh, and help you to have the best experience you can as the participant in worship in a virtual setting. So we're also trying, as you noticed, in our songs to do a a scene, a a split screen to show you lyrics on one side, video on the other. This is all part of our development as we learn how to do this and do this well. So thank you for your patience and for your encouragement as we continue to figure out how to do this crazy new thing that probably is not going away anytime soon. All right, well, so last week, if you were with us, we talked a bit about Paul's story, and we used Reggie McNeil's A Work of Heart uh, to sort of share how God shapes people's hearts. In spiritual formation, God is always shaping us. And we see in Scripture how God also was shaping Paul through three different things. First, his environment. So Paul was raised to be a, a Pharisee, He was perfectly at home in Roman, Greek, and Jewish culture, made made him the perfect candidate to be a cross-cultural missionary. Uh, And then it was not just his environment, but he had an encounter with the risen Lord, an encounter with Jesus that changed the trajectory of his life. And then that led to a time of pressure, uh, preparation, and then empowerment. Empowerment for what? Well, he became the missionary to the Gentiles. It was a new thing. And, and what are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are just all the non-Jewish people in the world. Paul had this calling specifically to minister to them. And this set his life on a whole new uh, direction. In fact, what's fascinating to me is that he didn't quit becoming the smart, tenacious man he grew up to be. It just changed his focus. The Lord used all, every single bit of his intellect and his knowledge, and his fierce courage, and his unwillingness to waver in his hope, even during his darkest hours. We see a little bit of his calling uh, here in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. 
his chosen instrument. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Suffer for my name. Okay, like we kind of had it great at first, but then I was showing how much he must suffer for my name. We're like, wait a minute, what's that about? I think we have to touch on this issue because it's something we're all experiencing right now. And that is, why is suffering part of what God is doing in the world? Why is God allowing all of this suffering to happen? It's a question we're all asking, right? And we should be asking it. Why? Why all this suffering? And we talk a lot, and at least I talk a lot, about the silver linings of the pandemic and the lockdown. And there are many, to be sure. But there's also a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of people who are hurting. And it's hard to get your head around what God is doing, what's going on. Why is God letting this all happen? That's something that we struggle with. And I think we need to wrestle with this a little bit. I think we do. I think it's healthy. I always say this, God can handle your questions. It's okay. God can handle your doubts. Jesus never kicked people out for doubting. He actually kicked the religious people out. <laughs> like, he never criticized. He would just say, hey, look, why are you doubting? Have more faith. I think doubt is a part of real genuine faith. Why is God letting all of this happen? Well, there's a couple of things I can say on this just for today. I'm not going to exhaustively go through what is known as theodicy, and that is, you know, kind of the problem of reconciling how evil can exist at the same time as God and God's redemption. I'm not going to cover that completely. There are lots of resources, and I may do that at a later date. But I can say a couple of things for now. And I think one of them is throughout Scripture, we see suffering is playing in the background, even as Jesus is doing his work. And Jesus, of course, himself suffers we see the suffering uh, over the death of Lazarus and, uh, Lazarus. and this is interesting, is that when, when Lazarus died and Jesus comes and Mary and Martha are there, Jesus weeps with them. And I think that moment's really poignant because it shows that it hurts the heart of God when we are hurting. And yet, for some reason, suffering's allowed to exist. Even though Jesus knew it was going to end in resurrection, it didn't stop him from the empathy of weeping in the moment with the people that he loved. There is something going on in here that God doesn't cause the suffering. I think that's the most important thing. I'll, I'll believe this from my head to my feet. God does not cause the suffering. God did not cause the coronavirus. I'm sorry. That's just not the God that I know. But God does allow the natural world to have cause and effect. He allows the cause and effect of the natural world, including human sin. I mean, there are consequences for human sin. So some of the things that happen in the natural world are because of sin, and some things are just because all of creation itself is kind of degrading. Some could say that human behavior toward the planet has uh, cause different weather systems to happen. Some could say, well, it's just a natural rhythm of the planet Earth. Whatever it is, we know that this world of ours is in decay until that day that Jesus makes it new. God allows the cause and effect. It doesn't mean God is the cause. But God allows the cause and effect. 
And I think it's clear somehow, someway, suffering has a part to play. Somehow human suffering has a part to play in this whole story of ours. And it's tough to put your finger on, but you can definitely see how God can use suffering or leverage suffering to get our attention, to bring us closer to him. I don't think God necessarily causes the suffering, but God can use the crises in our life, if you will, to change our course, change our direction, awaken us to something we didn't realize was there the whole time. I think the best way to understand suffering and to talk about it is uh, with my mom. Now, uh, I've been here eight years, and I've talked about my mom a lot. I think, I just, I just think about her a lot. She was my best friend. who She passed away in uh, 1999 uh, of the age 49. And uh, this is my mom here on the right, and this is my Aunt uh, Susie, who is still alive and well. And uh, Aunt Susie's probably going to love me for sharing that picture. But uh, this is my mom on the right, uh, Katie. And Katie knew a thing or two about suffering. When she had me at age 23, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, which um, continued to have its effect on her life. And by age 35, she was mostly in a wheelchair in order to get around. She could get around the house a little bit without one, but mostly in a wheelchair. Uh, she was diagnosed with an inoperable tumor on her spine. And during that course, she also developed diabetes. She had two divorces uh, with two husbands that she should have divorced. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Um, she was a rescuer of lost people, including the men that she married. And uh, my stepdad, her second husband, uh, was definitely a, a user and an abuser. My mother knew a thing or two about suffering. And yet, when she passed, she didn't strike anyone as a defeated woman. Anybody who knew her, even at the end, never felt like even though she was a victim, there was an empowerment about her. And here's what happened. During that course of her being ill in the last few years of her life, she came to know Jesus Christ. And it changed. It changed things for her. And I often wonder, without the suffering, would she have known him? Would she have turned to him? Because she was pretty against him before at least at the time when I became a Christian. And, and for that matter, would I have come to know Jesus? Have I not dealt with the suffering of my own childhood, whether it was my mother's sickness or my stepfather's psychological uh, or physical abuse? Would I have come to know Jesus? I don't for one second believe that God caused that suffering upon me, that God caused sickness or caused abuse. That is not the God that I know but I can see how God worked with it and used what was intended for evil for his good. What was intended to destroy me gave me an opportunity to have new life in Jesus Christ. I don't know what all this means in suffering. I just know it has a part to play. I don't always understand it, but I trust in God's providence. Because he worked in ways that I never could have imagined 
in the middle of suffering. Okay, well, what's interesting here, if we get back to uh, the scripture with talking about suffering, is if you go back to, uh, go to the scripture, there's a distinction here when uh, God says that to Ananias. There's a distinction here between needless suffering and suffering that is for a purpose. So the suffering that God mentions here, at least this is the word in the Greek, pasco, this uh, version of the verb, pathane, means to endure something for someone else's sake, to sacrifice. That this was the kind of suffering that Paul was going to endure, sacrificial, on behalf of Jesus Christ. In other words, that God was going to leverage this suffering for a purpose, just as the suffering of Jesus was leveraged for the salvation of humanity. I think in some way, ways that we don't always understand, suffering bears witness to Jesus Christ. We see this in the martyrs of the church over the centuries, that suffering bears witness. Even suffering, even um, social persecution can bear witness to Jesus. As we see in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here's the truth. Personal suffering is, in fact, a doorway that God can use to walk through. It's not always. Sometimes we refuse to allow him to walk through it because we're so angry. We have so much anger about the suffering that we've experienced or that others have experienced. We think it's unfair, unjust, and so we keep God at a distance. But a lot of the time, God can open a door that we usually have closed in our time of suffering. Again, I, it's like my kids, anyone who has kids and, or you got little littles and they're running around the house and they're falling down and getting hurt, you know, it's, uh, after a while you kind of stop paying attention to every time they cry because it's just like, all right, I, they're fine. But then maybe your kid, I don't, maybe I'm a bad parent, I don't know, but, but every once in a while your kid will give that one particular cry where you're like, ah, better, someone better go check. And... It was in those moments when my kids would be crying and I'd pick them up and put their little head on my shoulder and comfort them. And I used to often think, you know, I hate that my kids are hurting. But there's something beautiful about the way they let me hold them when they do. And I think in some ways, maybe, that's like what it is with God. I don't think he likes to see us hurting. But if we let him, it can be beautiful if we let him hold us. Personal suffering is a doorway, oftentimes, to connect with God. Okay, more on Paul's story. So there's an interesting development that was happening as he was going out and reaching the Gentiles. 
um, not everyone in the church knew what that was going to mean. There were a lot of problems coming up. A lot of different people had a lot of different ideas. And I love it because I'm like, yes, that's the church I recognize. <laughs> Everybody's got different ideas. We have different denominations, if you will. We all, we all see things a little bit differently. So they had to figure it out. The ministry to the Gentiles was something uh, that they had to figure out. And interestingly, you know, as, as Paul went on in his journey, he started to get the sense that it was coming to an end for him. He knew that there was a suffering to come, which turned out to be his own martyrdom in Rome. He turned out that there, there was going to be a suffering to come, and he just kind of felt it coming. And there's a, a really beautiful moment that happens here uh, between him and his friends and uh, church members, as he gets ready to say goodbye to go to Rome. Here's Acts 20, verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. I find this really moving and meaningful. He knows that his suffering is really about to happen, but he doesn't strike you as a defeated person. There is sadness, there is mourning with the people that he loves, but he knows that what he's doing is serving that purpose. His suffering is for the sake of Jesus Christ, just like God had promised. And he seems here to have no problem with carrying it out. To him, the suffering was worth it. It wasn't even close. So he arrives in Jerusalem. And here's what happens. Verse 27 of Acts 21. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. And they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. And so began Paul's two years of imprisonment and confinement in Rome that we think about from the year 60 to 62. And even though he knows the end is coming, he never strikes you as someone who's defeated. In fact, he writes the following books while he is in captivity. Go on to the next slide. He writes Philippians, which many know is known as the book of joy. He uses the word joy or rejoice in that book more than any other time in all of Scripture. He's not defeated. He knows that this is a fulfillment of God's purpose for him. He writes Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians. 
And as he's writing the book of Ephesians, I mean, my goodness, he, he lays it out in such a beautiful way. I want to read that for you now. This is a Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. In other words, we were God's people and you were not. You did not have God, you did not have hope, you were not considered to be in the family. After all, there are a lot of reasons for that. And their purity laws would have separated them. You couldn't have table fellowship with a Gentile. They weren't clean, they didn't eat right, they ate food sacrificed to idols, they didn't follow all the, um, the cleanliness, all, all the cleansing ceremonies, purity ceremonies that they had to do. They, it was us and it was them. We are God's people. You are everybody else. But now, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. My goodness, that, what a crazy idea. That you, who couldn't even have table fellowship together, now I'm completely obliterating those lines. You're all one new humanity. You're not who you were. You are now the same in me. My children, my people, brought near by the blood of Christ. One new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is one of the most beautiful descriptions of the gospel and its power. It's basically saying, everybody, who you once were, yes, that's the environment you grew up in, and yes, it's going to shape your life, but... We no longer have those divisions. Now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are made into one new humanity. That's the gospel. I have forgiven all sin. We now have more in common than the things that we disagree on. We have the commonality of faith in Jesus Christ. And it changes everything. This life is not the only life that we have. There is an eternity, an eternal life. And part of the challenge of this day is to see our lives, and yes, even our suffering, through the lens of eternity. We know how this is going to end. It's all going to end in victory. And that changes how we live our lives, how we deal with suffering right here and now. Here's the thing that we see. This book written from a prison cell on death row. We see that for Paul... The gospel is worth suffering for. 
he believed it was worth suffering for. And I think what he's getting at, and I think the important thing that I think about all the time, maybe you do too, think about my mom, all those who have known great suffering, is that I think sometimes we get it a little bit wrong. Yes, suffering hurts and it's bad and it's painful. We all know that. But real suffering is life without the gospel. How dark would our situation be if there was no hope in Jesus Christ? Well, then all suffering would be tragic and pointless and meaningless and needless. See, God even redeems suffering so that it can lead to new life. Maybe you struggle with this. I want to encourage you. What God has done in the gospel is to say, look, all of you who are far off, you have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray that today, today is the day that all over again, we ask God to bring us near. Not that we have to understand all the complexities of suffering. I mean, we just, it's above our pay grade. We just will not understand it in this life. But help us to trust in you, that in your sovereignty and providence, that you're going to work it out somehow, some way, to give us life. This is a chapter in your story. Amen.